All right. We are back. We are back. I am back. I have missed the last couple episodes. Javier Hostel. I don't know if that was a, a secret or not, but now you got to tell us. I wasn't I going gotta... to tell everybody, but y'all, I had a really bad uh, like turn to ankle issue minutes before Thursday's podcast. Um, <laughs> Tuesday, I was going to be off anyways, so I ended up missing the entire week. It was uh, I would have rather been on the podcast with you. How about that? I'll, I'll say that. Um, but all that said, at least where you like wait, what's playing that Tuesday? with it or something? That was Tuesday. I'm sorry. That was Tuesday. Um, and then Thursday was just, it, it just didn't go away. Um, <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I was helping, uh, my brother bring suitcases upstairs. And as I was coming back down to get the next load, I missed the last stair. Nothing embarrassing about that, man. I, I feel like out. I just got 30 years older in the eyes of our audience, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Welcome to Cannabis Insider. We're not talking about my medical, not emergencies, medical happenings. Uh, uh, the I mean, still so you know what is feeling. great to have? Cannabis topicals. You just get a little bit of a good cannabis uh, topical, rub it on your ankle, and it's... I live in bad. North Carolina. CBD? Um, yeah, we can do CBD. I will say, though... This state's so interesting. You guys want a little insider baseball? We have those like political yard signs, but there's nothing on them except THCA. That's it. They're just all over the place. There's THCA, there's THCB, there's del- all the deltas. Uh, obviously, CBD and hemp are everywhere. Really? Um, oh my God. Yeah. They, they have no, honestly, they welcome it. They welcome it in North Carolina. The cannabis industry thinks everybody wants marijuana. Everybody does want marijuana, but honestly, it's up to us to educate the consumers. Anyway, we're getting into a deep rabbit hole here, Javi. But let's let let's let everybody know what's happening. Brian, what's up? Thank yeah. you for tuning in. Appreciate you, Aaron Thomas. Let's get going. We have a loaded episode today so you're not going to hear how i pontificate all that much uh we are going to let our guests do that as with every tuesday we're going to start off with our good friend morgan patsia from poseidon investment management you got it was convinced it was the other way around poseidon investment management uh morgan's gonna join us on then we're gonna dive into our good friend over at ucs advisor dr david kunick followed by and last but certainly not least, a really, really cool company. Javi, I don't know if you know them. But yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes. Yes, you know. Yes, Cannabis. We have their CEO, Matthew Martinez. It is a packed episode today. Thrilled for all three of these guests. And with that being said, we have a ton to talk about. I think this is our first episode with Morgan since the HHS letter last week. So let's start. Javi, you ready? That's Very a, that's ready. A heck yes, that's a heck yes face. Aaron Thomas, let's get him up. Morgan, welcome in, man. How are you? All right, here we go. It's September. How are we doing? You know, I feel like September started off better than August. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think... A little bit. Yeah, a little, little bit better. I am, little, I am, little... I, I am wearing a, a hoodie to celebrate the occasion, and it's special for Morgan and generally. Huh? So it's uh, you can see it, and Morgan will know why I'm saying that it's special for him. But I am feeling 
more flower there we go nice <laughs> i don't know why that's special for morgan but it's a special hoodie because you're wearing it uh oh, morgan you love the packs i yes. love it all right yes. morgan get, give us the uh the lowdown man give us your initial reaction that letter comes out what last late last tuesday early wednesday i think what ran through your mind honestly can i <laughs> speak speak open man profanities <laughs> uh, one i was like holy sh mm -hmm. like, you can curse it's fine okay yeah uh, so holy shit honestly i mean it was just like whole this like mind-blowing and you know what honestly the first thing that came to mind was what a, what have i been professing for a lot of this year is a known catalyst is not a catalyst well guess what we got something that was not known and look mm -hmm. what happened Mm -hmm. Yeah, Epic. It, Epic. you know, I mean, okay. for August late going into a holiday weekend explosion of activity, I mean, and how quickly the animal spirits, I mean, getting phone calls from people that had written off the sector and are, are all mm. of a sudden like, oh, this is a game changer. So, I mean, it was just a total validation that the catalysts, real catalysts are not known. And there you go. So right. that was... Uh, and, and, you know, you just look at all the things that have happened subsequently. I love the discourse, honestly, because I think there, we don't know exactly how this is going to go. So I love how there's lawyers on both sides, either like, this is like a clear shot to 280 removal. Um, wait, this is not that simple yet. You know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of tension around this because it's, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a big deal. Um, so, I mean, it's incredibly exciting for, for the industry. I think, I think, uh, but I ahead, do right. think, sorry, I was going to say the last thing is like, but I don't think we can rest on our laurels yet. Mm -hmm. This could certainly not go great. If we just get complacent again and we don't keep pushing that this is handled properly, I feel like the industry could get taken from us. And so there's an opportunity to do this right where we can have a thriving industry that's profitable, free cash flow, um, that allows us to continue to mature. Um, but we've got to be careful and we got to keep doing the work. So I know Javi's going to want to jump in here, but just to, to get through this part rather quickly, uh, the big, big happening here would be getting rid of 280. Should it be schedule three exactly. or higher? Um, you know, I did see um, in a note, I believe from Needham this morning, um, that this also offers the opportunity of uplisting for, for US-based companies. Is that in actuality, is that something that you see as a direct result from this? Um, I see it as a subsequent event. Um, I don't think it's all going to get wrapped up in one. Capital markets, uh, banking reform are, are not a part of scheduling. Um, mm -hmm. All it does, I thought uh, Matt McGinley from Needham did a good job of the report. He does note the, the immediate initial benefit is the 280E and the lowered risk, perceived risk profile. And that should help shepherd more change. Um, but they're still going to need an act of Congress to do some of these things or, or the exchanges that, you know, could acknowledge or, or take certain steps. Um, but it's not a given. Um, I, and for those that have also been hearing me drone on for a lot of this year, um, I've, I've been saying for a long time that safe banking is a, a very low probability and I would expect something else to happen first. And here we are. And so, you know, talking about rescheduling is something that's happening first, because right, there's a pretty clear path from here, um, unless the DEA says no. Um, and that's not a given either. Like we can't, we can't assume the DEA is just going to follow just because they have in other instances. Hmm. 
So, yeah. I have two follow-ups for you, like clarifications. One is, um, why would a rescheduling not necessarily imply the possibility for companies to uplist, right? Like if they're working with a now like DEA accepted substance, wouldn't all of these companies be subject to an uplisting or would they, do you think, and like maybe have to register with the DEA anyways to uplist? Like what's the, what's your rationale behind saying, I'm not sure? Um. Well, it's from at least from what I've been reading, it doesn't it doesn't automatically it's not an automatic. I mean, one, these companies have to be uh, compliant with the ability to uplist. And and two, I, th I think we I think it's been pretty clear is that we need clarity from the exchanges that if they're now OK with it, because they've previously been a clear embargo that they're we're not welcome on their exchanges um, under the under their structure. So. Um, so yeah, that's why I think there's a bit more. I don't think it's just an automatic where everybody would just be free to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is you say, you know, this poses a risk for the industry to be taken away from us mm -hmm. by who or whom yeah. I, I never know, <laughs> but, yeah. but por quién? <laughs> by whom and like, why, what do you mean? Yeah. So I thought interestingly today. On marijuana moment, we had the um, was it the uh, Congressman uh, uh, Gates out of Florida, right? Uh, uh, came out and basically said, you know, be careful because this could put push the industry into big farmers' hands, and uh, we don't want that. Um, I don't think that's that's a benefit at all. I you know I've always believed that in a rescheduling, you know, the the panacea for us is descheduling. We're not going to get that. That they're just not going to go, and obviously we're not, right? The HHS made the recommendation to go to three, they didn't make the recommendation just to remove from scheduling altogether. So this was the first step. Now, I think there's some benefits from uh, people that want to pursue a true medical path um, that do want to go the pharmaceutical path, but we don't want the overreach to be all encompassing. And I did think it was interesting or a bit concerning feeding into that narrative a little bit was. Um, The White House uh, press secretary said that uh, Biden has always been of support of uh, what was it, decriminalizing or legalizing medicinal marijuana. They're still not willing to move beyond this, like trying to put it in this little bucket instead of talking about it as, you know, it's just a, a legal adult use industry and a medical industry. And so that's something that I, you know, I, I do take note of, of like that, that is a, you know, pretty specific Uh, um, qualifier when you are limiting its potential uh, application by only talking about it in medical. So that's why I just say like we we just have to keep pushing and make sure that this is you know all encompassing for uh, not just medical but adult use. And I think it actually bolsters better for both sides. I, mm -hmm. You know, I think a true medical cannabis should be you know under a much different uh, premise other than a, a tax code, yeah. basically how it is today. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And also like calling it medical, right? Like even in, in Latin American countries, you know, we, we make a clear difference between medical and therapeutic, for instance, right? Because medical carries this weight, right? This uh, very clear meaning uh, of, of the many implications it has of the, 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 the careful scientific approach, right? Exactly. So a couple, a couple more points here and then we do have to wrap up, but I want you to talk about, you know, I, I guess for me, like how this affects the markets, liquidity uh, from an investor standpoint, right? You know, that's your, 
your bread and butter, you know? So I want to hear from you about that. Uh, but secondly, I saw just to kind of wrap up the point we're talking about with medical cannabis and, and rescheduling, um, the FDA had a chance or, you know, is able to participate. Federal government's able to participate in a schedule one drug in a schedule one substance, but they did not. So a lot of these, you know, kind of points pushing that schedule three opens up the opportunity for the government to step in, uh, and restructure the entire industry. Um, history says that's not going to happen. Now, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, at, at the basic premise, cannabis is still is a very stigmatized substance in the eyes of the government. And I think we're still healing those wounds um, that have been inflicted on us and, and society for decades. And I, I just don't think it's going to be an immediate change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps cure with age because our elected officials are just getting older. And so eventually they will be replaced by younger people that have much different mindset around all of this. It just takes a long time. Um, but to, to your point, yeah, I mean, they, they made researching cannabis so difficult and it was purely intentional. Um, you could have, to your point, you could have researched many other Schedule One substances with way less uh, friction um, because they just didn't want, they just didn't want it. They knew because they know the, 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 the basic understand, like the government knows that, you know, the, the realities of cannabis, it's just all wrapped up in all this there still is a lot of drug war rhetoric because these are really old people that are running our country. And, and so they were, they grew up with that. And so they still, there's still a lot of them that believe in it. And so, and, and a lot of these different groups, while you're talking about the FDA, the DEA, the DOJ, you know, these are political organizations as much as they're not supposed to be. I mean, I was very happy obviously to see the HHS come forward with science data-based decision-making as they should. Um, but you want to see that obviously follow suit through more of government, um, you know, you know, DA is a perfect example. Like they've got this five point checklist that they're going to have to go through and they didn't, they just did it. What was it back in 2016? We were just talking about this internally and, you know, we didn't do so well on that five point checklist. And that's not necessarily as scientific based as there's a little bit more qualitative and that's where there's, you know, there's, there's some risk in there, even though there's, there's good status quo uh, to follow HHS. Anyway, I think you make a good point. The FDA, they could have, they didn't. And so what's going to change, um, at least maybe the perception is improving around that. And so maybe they will. Um, but regardless, there are hundreds of thousands of people now employed in this industry and we need to have it as a continue on that path and not, and not uh, limit its capability. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we still don't really know what cannabis wants to be when it grows up. You know, we don't know what it wants to be from a medical perspective. There could be tons more that can happen and I'd love to see what can happen there, but um, we got to stop putting people in jail and and uh, and do the right thing here. Yeah, we do. We we do need to keep going here, Morgan. Um, yep. I could talk about this with you all day, but let's save a little bit of this for next week. Uh, maybe we can yep. chat a bit about you know what what it's going to happen with investors. You know, are they going to wait for the DEA to to take action? What's going to happen there? Obviously, we'll have more to talk about stock wise uh, and capital markets wise this time next week. Hope hopefully still good, yep. <laughs> and people don't just thrash it in the next week. Um, but all that said. <laughs> Um, Morgan, always a pleasure, man. Anything else uh, that's on your mind before uh, we, we we bring over Dr. David? Uh, I, I mean, I think this is a positive moment for us as an industry, and and let's let's build on positivity. It's definitely been a, a very hard, long journey to get to this point, and um, yeah. and it's been pretty tough on each other out there. But 
you know, this is uh, let's not get complacent, but let's also enjoy uh, potentially a, a big win. Amen. I'm with you, Morgan. Appreciate your insights as always, sir. Thank you. See you next week. See you. I can't get over that, figuring out what cannabis wants to be when it grows. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Honestly, there's a lot to unpack there. But, y'all, there's a great place to get more information about this. And it's Javier Haas' team at Benzinga.com slash cannabis. Oh. All of your news throughout the day or download the Benzinga app. That. Slide over to the cannabis news feed. Every cannabis article just in continuous, infinite scroll. It's amazing. Beautiful. All updated. You know, Javier maybe, maybe not amazing. as good at that, but uh, no, nah, I'm kidding. You know where else people can figure out <laughs> disowned. Uh, what it what this means? Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference coming to Chicago September 27 and 28. BZCannabis.com. Come join us. Be there or be square. No more plugs for us. Let's keep this clipping. Next up, we have Dr. David of USC Advisors. I am super excited to hear all about what they're doing and why they're not consultants. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Dr. David, welcome in, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Javier. Just so you know, it's UCS, not USC. <laughs> it's okay, because people on the West Coast do that all the time, but I'll make it really simple. Do you know what UCS stands for? What does it stand for? It stands for? for two things. For cannabis people, use cannabis safely. Woo! And for non-cannabis people, use common sense. Mm. Poof, the least like, common yeah. of all senses, though. You know that. <laughs> just saying, though. Just saying, my friend. Just saying. Some you, good you, you, did, you, did the, you did the rookie mistake of, oh, you know, USC. No, no, no. UCS. All good. That that's what happens when you don't read the script. I wanted to go on, uh, off by by heart, but you know, but that's but don't right. blame cannabis. It's it's my memory. It has nothing to do with cannabis. Let's let's clear out one more thing. Do you have PMA? What is PMA? PMA, positive mental attitude. Mm. So mm. my my COO was in a punk rock band uh, back in the day, and there's a song. You gotta have your PMA, PMA, positive mental attitude, and Let's call spade a spade. Raising money is not fun. Mm-mm. Raising money can really suck. And you have less than a 3% success rate. But you know what? Oh, we got to maintain that positive mental attitude. And if you see us, me or my COO, Chris Vaglio, at Benzinga Chicago at the at the yeah. end of September, reach out to us to get a PMA pin. And if you see anyone there wearing a PMA pin, you know it came from us. So mm. that I love that positive mental attitude. I'm going to be wearing one. I'm making the decision now. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have positive. As an event provider, can get stressful. <laughs> so I'm going to look down at that pin, and I'm going to be positive about it. Ellie, no matter what's going on at that conference, at the end of the day, we're blessed. There's a conference going on. We're, sur- we're surrounded by great people, people who want to be there. You know what? Let's just have Amen. fun with it. I mean, Benzinga, Miami, you know how much rain there was? And people were complaining. And then I go, this is a blessing. They go, what do you mean? I go, that means no one's leaving the hotel. It means everyone's staying here. People don't want to get wet. This is amazing. People that would go, boo, boo, boo. Now they're here and they want to talk to you. Best so case you scenario. I'm doing that PMA, that positive mental attitude. Blessed, man. So, so bless us a little bit with what UCS does, right? I mean, we got a little bit of it, but give us the full run through of what you guys so, are up to. So UCS advisors, we are professional capital raising advisors. What does that mean? 
That means that we're more than just consultants. Javier, I'll tell you the difference because there's a major difference between a consultant and an advisor. But we're the ones that say, you know what, besides getting a line of credit, besides me trying to get a bank loan, and besides me going through a traditional broker-dealer, we actually teach you the skill set on how to raise money. If you look at every successful entrepreneur, they learn the skill set on how to raise money, how to raise capital. We teach that skill set. And not only do we teach that skill set, as we say here at UCS Advisors, when you come to us, you're kind of like a dirty green, green nugget. And our job is to turn you into a nice, shiny green diamond. Mm. And we want to make sure that you become investable. There are a lot of great deals that are out there that people want to invest in, but they do the wrong thing. They're missing a piece of information. They don't know how to talk to an investor properly. And we teach that entire skill set so they can actually attract investors, actually have people want to invest in them. Can I do one point of clarification before Javi jumps in there? The 3% success rate that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. is that in the current capital markets of cannabis or is that just in general? That's in general. Man. So so people people forget, let's just call spade a spade. Like like you you go to an accountant to deal with your accounting issues, performa. You might go to a consultant just for your application writing or just for your business plan. You go to your lawyer to work on your legal stuff. But where do you turn to when it actually comes to learning how to raise capital? Where, where do you go to to actually learn fundraising skills? And that's what we do. And people don't know the statistics. 3% success rate. So out of every 100 people you talk to, three of them, on average, will invest in your deal. Let's take it another step further. Javier and Elliot, how many touches between emails, phone calls, uh, Texas, in-person conversation, does it take for an investor to actually give you money to invest in your projects? And I'll, I'll narrow from zero to 20. I can't even guess. Uh, I can tell you, as somebody in business yeah. development, on average, just to get a hold of somebody is seven. Okay. Seven? It's actually wow. going to hold of somebody. That's not, so, that's not I'm so thousand. glad I'm a journalist carrying the Benzinga name because I send one email saying Benzinga interview and people are like, sure. <laughs> but, but let's take it step further. It takes eight touches on average for an investor. Wow. The time you meet them, by the time they actually write you a check. That means, yeah, I go like in baseball, yeah, I go eight for eight. Do you know how easy it is to screw up, to say something wrong, to write the improper email? And that's why if people, when people follow us on LinkedIn, we do the Dr. David's Green Nugget Advisory Tips. We give out Green Nugget Advisory Tips at least twice a week. To mm-hmm. teach people some very simple things that they can do so they can become investable. Is there one thing, or maybe there's a few things, but can you tell us like one thing that is a, a must, like a, a through line through all of your teachings, all of your advice, all of your, um, you know, your not consulting? Um, <laughs> what, what is it? Like uh, what's one thing that you, that everybody who raises money has to do? Great. Our number one green nugget is this. Failure to plan is planning to fail. It's really simple. Failure to plan is planning to fail. Now, let's, 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 let's break that down. Great, Elliot. You're looking for money. Your minimum investment's 100 grand. All right, Elliot. What's my potential ROI? How am I getting paid back? You don't have that answer. That's failure to plan. Hey, Javier, your minimum investment's only 25 grand. You know what, Javier? 
I got 25 grand. I like what you said. Send me over the, the investment documents right now. Oh, I don't have that done yet. My lawyer hasn't done that yet. Well, that's a failure to blame. Mm. So Pete, that's the number one thing that we see that happens most often. And the second thing is have your house in order. Do not, I repeat, do not ask anyone for money. Don't ask your friends, colleagues, this or that, anyone for money until you are 100% prepared. The way we work here as advisors is that, and Javier, here's your answer. A consultant is someone that you hire to work on a specific problem retroactively. I got a problem mm-hmm. on my website, I'll hire website consultants. I got a problem on marketing, I'll hire a marketing consultant. But an advisor works on the short-term and long-term goals of a company. And we use a multidisciplinary approach towards your business. And here comes the kicker. And we have real life experience. So not only are we advisors, we're also awesome. investors. Everyone on my team is an investor and invest in, invest in businesses. Everyone on my team has started a company and also sold a company as well, too. We have the real life experience. That's what makes you an advisor. And my best analogy, being a medical guy by trade, and I do have two doctorate degrees, so I really am a medical guy. Uh, so we tell everyone we take a medical approach towards business. This is what I tell everyone. A personal trainer is not a physical therapist. They're not mm-hmm. a licensed therapist. They're kind of like a consultant. But a physical therapist technically speaking, is also a personal trainer. So every physical <laughs> therapist technically could be a personal trainer. Not every personal trainer is a physical therapist. And that's the best way of looking at us. Dude, you are the king of sound bites. I wish I could take a master class with you. Have you considered, um, and, and I have, like, this is not my question, by the way, Elliot, because we have one more each. But like, have you considered, like, going on TV, being like an anchor or something? Like, this is in. Saying like, well, we will announce it here. Uh, I was very anti having my own podcast. True story. We're in my Portland, Maine office. I got my COO up here. He gets off the plane. And I go, listen, we're going straight to the grocery store. We're getting snowed in for 24 hours. He's like, what? And then the next morning I go, listen, you have till 8 p.m. tonight to convince me to do a podcast. He convinced me. And then we're actually going to be rolling this out. Probably in the next 30 to 60 days, we got the format down. It's industry agnostic. Love it. It's a, we ask everyone the same eight to 10 questions. And it's really about using common sense. And one of the other biggest things is, is that for what we do is we're cost effective. And I have to stress this enough. We work by the hour. We take credit cards. And here comes the kicker. I'm going to use your Benzinga conference as a great example. This happened in Benzinga, Chicago before. This happened in Benzinga, Miami. This happened in Benzinga, New York. We tell people, listen, you're not happy with us. There's any unused hours. We have a refund policy, no questions asked for up to six months. Wow. So we tell you, the business owner, you take credit cards. We have a refund policy, no questions asked. We give you peace of mind. What do you have to lose? Insane. I love it. So my question to you was, you said like, you know, it's so easy to say one thing that 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 will destroy your pitch, that will kill your your investment opportunity, right? And and I, I've said this before in, in, on this show, for instance, for me, one of the things that I have encountered when, when raising money was that my projections were too conservative, right? It's like they were like, I want to see the best case scenario. Now, 
Um, my question to you is, what wh what are the worst things that one can say uh, when, when trying to raise money? Oh man, the, the go, go go back and look at our LinkedIn videos because you'll see it. Uh, you will you will see a whole bunch of answers. But um, here's 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 one of the biggest mistakes. Ellie and Javier, what's your minimum investment for an investor? And I get this. Oh, I'm raising two point two million dollars total. That wasn't my question. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. What is the minimum someone can give you? Mm -hmm. And people don't have that answer. Or they say, oh, I'll let them decide. No. Or the ask, well, right? All right. And the second biggest mistake is that, that we see is you're the CEO of the company. You're the founder of the company. I ask you a basic question. What are the terms? How are you going to pay back the investor? Oh, I don't know. I don't handle that. Well, you're the CEO and the founder of the company. You need to know the most basic information. And the third thing, which we see a lot is this. Oh, my CFO handles my fundraising. You go to CFO. Well, I've never done fundraising before, so I don't really know what I'm doing. So we, a lot of people forget a CFO, chief financial officer is working on the performa, working on the books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not, it's not that they know how to raise money or they ever, or they or if they've ever raised money before. And that's something that we hear a lot. Um, we're prepping a lot of people from Benzinga, Chicago. We will be there Tuesday morning. So if you're there early, make sure you look us up. But one of the things we have, we have some of our clients going to Benzinga, Chicago, and we're prepping them. Hey, you want a quick 20 to 30 second pitch, three foot putt. Do not have verbal diarrhea of the mouth. Book mm -hmm. that follow-up meeting. And there's a small little things that occur. When someone says, great, I'm interested. Let's follow up tomorrow. Don't pick my brain for 20 to 30 more minutes. Be respectful of my time. like being respectful of your time. And these are small little things that mm -hmm. happen over and over and over again. And Elliot, just because we had uh, uh, the person from Poseidon before, people, oh, the markets are so tight. The markets are so difficult. I highly disagree with you. Mm. I disagree with everyone that says that. You want to see me get mad and angry? Say, oh, no one's investing right now. That's total BS. Just have yeah. your house in order. And here's a great example, Javier. We had a client who's raising $22 million, no executive summary, no performa, and it was a 41-page pitch deck. And it was not very good. And we said, no. the money you raise the more you have to have your house in order ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't realize. People want to give you money. Less than one out of every 10 Americans own their own business here in the U.S. People want to give you money. Mm -hmm. But they want to have peace of mind. They want to make sure that, okay, hey, you're not like a high school senior, which we teach our clients, which means this. Javier, I don't know if you have any kids. Let's say you have a son. He's a senior in high school. Are you going to hand your son a check for $200,000 and say, son, I don't care if we go to college. <laughs> go to I, I don't know what your plan is, but I hope one day you get a degree. Would you give your son, your 17-year-old your kid, 200 grand? No, you wouldn't. Hell no. <laughs> Why is it some random investor going to give you 200 grand if you have no plan of attack? Same as that mm -hmm. thing. UCS, use common sense. And, yep. and I am blessed. I've been in this industry since 2001. I actually did my own S1 in this industry, took my company public on the OTC, QB back in the day. I've started eight cannabis companies in five different states. And I was very blessed 
to have a capital raising advisor way back in the day that taught me because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for them. Mm, I love that. David, this is uh, incredibly interesting, man. And I love, I was going to go there. I, I was about to go there. I was like, are investors investing? But you answered it before I could. So I'm going to adjust, right? What are, is there a specific type of business, a specific maturity of business right now that you see having success at a more common rate than others? So we've helped 11 companies in the last 90 days secure capital from private investors. Whoa. Right? Um, as of the last two weeks of August, uh, that was three more companies. So three out of those 11. To answer your question is this. One, a lot of seasoned investors in cannabis are looking at non-plant touching deals right now. But for very new investors to the cannabis industry, they still like the plant touching. They really, really like the plant touching. But here it comes to key. It's 2023, people. We're entering the last month of the third quarter. We're here. Do your due diligence. There's something called publicly traded companies that release their financials. And you can go <laughs> look at their financials and take your grow and take whatever percentage of your grow that might be of a larger grow of another publicly traded company and just do a comparison. The fact is, if you don't have the data, if you, if you, most people we, we tell, we say right now this, they're lazy when it comes to capital raising. They'll spend the time and money for everything else. But when it comes to actually raising the capital, they tend to be lazy. And I, I shouldn't really say lazy more so than maybe they're burned out or they don't know who to turn to for advice. Um, we are seeing a lot of people looking at grows, extraction facilities, even, even dispensaries. But the deals that are getting funded have their house in order ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It makes it very, very simplistic. Uh, for the seasoned cannabis investors, uh, they're really looking at non-plant touching. And I'll tell everyone here right now, listen to this. Go to real estate meetup groups. Go to real estate, uh, uh, real estate uh, networking events. Because we're seeing a lot of real estate investors take the money that they've earned over the last couple of years. And now they're looking to invest in cannabis companies interesting interesting david we could talk about investing all day my friend as we said with morgan but that being said we are at the end of our time here it's a pleasure chatting with you and honestly the optimism is refreshing it, it truly is keep that keep it my friend yeah you got to keep that pma and the last thing i'll say is this javier and elliot if you go to our website ucsgreatness.com we have a free self-assessment investor ready quiz it's free it takes two minutes Fill it out. That's cool. And you get instant feedback. I'm going to do it right are. now. <laughs> so if, if people forget that. It's like, well, I don't know if I'm ready. Well, here's a free quiz. I don't make one penny off of it. Just here's general education. As a medical practitioner, part of our job is to empower people with information and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do here at UCS Advisor. We take, that, we take that medical approach towards business so we can help you on your capital raising journey. I love that. Dr. David of UCS Advisors, appreciate you, my friend. Positive mental attitude. We'll see you in three weeks. See us there. Make sure you stop in for the luncheon because we'll be doing a skit for our five-minute presentation. Yes. Five skits on the top mistakes people make when raising money. Yes. I cannot wait. Thank you. Thank you, man. We'll see all you right, soon. Be good, everyone. Later. Cheers. All right, y'all. Thank you all for sticking through with us. Your goals, fitness. I may have missed it, but what's the anticipated time frame for reschedule? Uh, we did see an analyst come out saying this time September next February. year. 
So it's not going to be anytime soon. But that being said, February, September of next year, maybe. Yeah. February to September of next year. Is what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So wide time frame. Yeah. So AKA, I think it's going to be done before the election next year is what I'd say. Um, Heath Mm -hmm. Koresh, thanks for tuning in. Joe Donnelly, appreciate you, sir. And with that being said, uh, thank you all. Honestly, yeah, appreciate viewership sticking around the entire time. We're bringing with you a super cool and unique company. Yes, Cannabis, their CEO, Matthew Martinez. Matt, what's up, my friend? How are you? Elliot, doing well. How about yourself? We're good. We're good. Obviously, a lot happening in the space, man. It's, it's been quite the last seven days. It has, it has been exciting to see the increased optimism, um, every like it's, it seems like morale is lifted in the industry a little bit. Um, there's a lot more positive speculation. It, it's been incredible to witness the past seven days and just participate and be, you know, in and around it. Matt, as an entrepreneur in the space and I'll let Javi talk, I apologize, Javier, uh, but as an entrepreneur oh, in the space, um, you know, it seems there are a couple camps to, to this news. There's a camp that rescheduling to schedule three is a, positive incremental change is a good thing for the space we're not getting holistic everything we want right so camp one there's camp two who thinks this is going to restructure the industry it's really not good for us um you know it's the the first camp is maybe a little bit greedy because this is what they uh are settling for and it puts money in their pockets i'm just curious like do you see yourself sitting in that camp one as as somebody who sees this as a positive um So the way our team has kind of broken it down internally, we look at it as immediate, near, and long-term. And I think in the immediate term, it's a huge positive and a benefit, right? I think increased optimism um, in the industry as a whole, from the investor perspective, the operator perspective, uh, is good to advance the industry forward. It also shows... um, I think the historical efforts are starting to take effect and move the needle marginally. Right. So I think all that is good. Um, As far as near to long-term, we believe it will instill a sense of optimistic uncertainty. Right. So there's a lot of speculation, a lot of crystal ball balling going on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of game theory, um, you know, what is schedule? What are the, the legal implications of schedule three? What are the financial implications? What are the regulatory implications? Right. Um, is it going to look like ketamine? Is it going to look like other substances on schedule three? Right. <clears throat> this is all to be determined. Um, and, and that's all, that's where we leave it. Right. We, we take it one day at a time. We know that today there's a sense of optimism, but going forward, it actually brings a, a level of uncertainty and, you know, we're going to see how it plays out. We're, we're heads down, focused on continuing to build our company, regardless of um, opinion. But, you know, that, that's, that's how we're looking at things today. I love that, man. Honestly, I'm kind of done with crystal balling. Like, you know, we, we, we can anticipate certain things like, okay, maybe when might a rescheduling uh, occur okay there are a few specific moments of doing the legislative process but like most other things we are guessing blindly and we missed our estimation so many times the market size the rate of legalization you know it's it's so i i, I love this 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 refreshing perspective and 
you know, you, you, you focus, you mentioned you're focusing on, on yes, cannabis right now on building a, a durable company. So explain what you do because you do a bunch of stuff, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's not a hundred percent easy to figure out all of the things you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and appreciate the, um, the validation on that mindset. I would say that is been developed over years and years in this industry, right? Um, I think so many people take the position of playing the game, waiting for the rules to change. And what we have done is just adopted the rules and, and agreed to play them as it play the game as is. Mm. Right. Um, nice. Now, as far as yes, cannabis, yes, cannabis has been an evolution um, and kind of in its most recent form is a, uh, essentially an MSO built on the back of manufacturing, right? And the reason we believe that that is the most efficient and effective way to expand into new territories is that traditionally the manufacturing and distribution license tends to be the access point into a, a supply chain within any given territory. And our goal is to build a brand platform on the back of our infrastructure that allows for brands to expand and uh, uh, expand and grow regionally more seamlessly and effectively, right? So we're seeing this evolution of an asset light brand model. And then what we're seeing is, is opcos have to become more brand agnostic, right? And so if a brand, an opco is brand agnostic, your client and brands are asset light, your client becomes the brand. And if we can, you know, expand through manufacturing operations into multiple states and create a standardized manufacturing and distribution operation that we can then leverage for the betterment of all brands, we believe that it'll, you know, kind of be the rising tide that lifts all ships. You were talking about supply chains and, and, and what you do. And, and I'm curious, um, what's the problem? What's your problem with fragmented supply chains? Um, <laughs> Can you explain what that is and why it's a problem? I'm very yeah, curious. Absolutely. Uh, so depending on how fragmented your supply chain is, right? Depending on what, what territory you're looking at. But regardless, you know, the there's an increased level of difficulty when you need to source raw materials for any finished good. And the number of people who can transport those raw materials from business to business is, uh, is, is finite, right? There's not a, an exponential number of them. Um, there's an increased cost to fragmented supply chain, right? And, you know, layer on the regulatory oversight um, it just makes it extremely difficult. However, those are here to stay. I don't think they're going anywhere. They're, they're part of the, the fixed rules of the game that we all have to learn to operate by. Um, but I think this goes back to kind of why we built our model um, on the back of manufacturing and distribution is that we can remove by, by banding together collectively, we can remove a lot of redundancies and costs that we are all collectively suffering from right now it, you know, I, I uh, earned my stripes here in California and in the early stages of California, everybody had, I think had this mentality, they were going to do it themselves, 
both from kind of a pride and ego perspective, but also from a, uh, a survival perspective, because there were no options, right? There were no large scale third party distributors in 2018. Everybody had to build their own distribution company. They had to have their own manufacturing opco. So they were manufacturing their own product. They were distributing their own product. And there's an extreme cost with all of that, right? It's its own business outside of, you know, selling branded goods. And so what we've seen is that you can, there's a lot of brands that have a high level of perceived success in market but are financially not very successful because they're being burdened by this extreme cost of the opco. And now they're adopting this multi-state asset light expansion. Whereas in new territories, as they open up, or even in existing territories, if we were to consolidate our efforts under one opco, well, that opco becomes profitable. It's no longer a liability because it's sustainable and your brand and product are now a profitable endeavor, right? And so you can see how this starts to build compounding value for all parties involved by removing redundancies, right? And driving efficiency, stuff like that. Super interesting, man. You know, just to kind of point out here, it it feels like a pretty strong value uh, for what you can offer the industries or data. Uh, On the CPG and brands level, you know, you, you can really compare these different markets, what brands are having success, you know, with who is growing faster than who, uh, what the demand is, you know, the demand aspect, you know, seems like equally as, as good for these brands as say like a retail data companies like hoodie and headset. So in, in regards to that data, is that, is that a, uh, a tool that you would offer companies themselves in order to maybe look at markets, uh, and decide which ones they want to expand into at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently our, our organization is very data driven. So we have um, hand selected off the shelf solutions in our tech stack, piece them together using various APIs in order to provide um, brand insights is what we're defining them as, right? The, if <clears throat> currently, if you're a brand and you want to look at your retail sales data, or you want to look at your, your work in progress on the manufacturing side, there's multiple platforms you have to uh, log into to see them, right? There's not one dashboard that kind of brings that all together. And, and that's what our platform does. We, we attempt to give you visibility into all territories that you're operating in across the supply chain in that territory, right? So that you could see raw materials, work in progress, finished inventory through uh, recently distributed goods. Um, and the other mm-hmm. thing we're super passionate about is, you know, really trying to crack this D to C code, right? The, the whole idea of selling direct to your consumer and allowing the brand mm-hmm. to gather first party data so that they can one, uh, you know, decrease the acquisition cost to build retention and loyalty to their, their consumer, um, and understand the true LTV of their consumer, right? With the, and Javier, this go, kind of goes back to your point of fragmented supply chain where, you know, the brands have very little visibility or insights as to who is walking through the front door of a dispensary to buy their product. They know X number of units are moving through this shelf on this interval, but who bought them, right? We don't know who John or Jane Smith is. We don't know where they're located, their age or anything like that. And I think, 
in order for us to mature as an industry, those are valuable insights that will allow the brands to progress and grow and inevitably become the marquee brands of tomorrow, right? I think it's essential to have first-party data in order to cement your place in the industry of tomorrow. Without it, um, I think the cost of user acquisition, retention, and loyalty is is astronomical, and Mm -hmm. it is almost unachievable. Mm -hmm. So a couple, uh, kind of a two-sided question for me here. I want to get a little bit more specific. Um, uh, First off, of all these different products that you can work with, is there one that is economically easier or one that is economically harder to work with than the other? Say like beverage over flowers, pre-roll over edibles, things of that nature. Absolutely. So um, I think from a manufacturing distribution perspective, any value add manufacturing is definitely more difficult. Now, what do I mean by value add manufacturing? I mean, taking a, the raw input of cannabis, such as flour or oil, and then taking that and infusing it, activating it, encapsulating it into some sort of finished good that requires additional steps for it to be quote unquote finished, right. Or completed. Those are generally very unique processes per like brand specifications or, or organization specifications. So <clears throat> learning those and replicating them to the same quality that the brand would do themselves is definitely a challenge, but I think is also why, you know, value at or value add manufactured goods command uh, a higher price point in market, but then also generally have healthier margins, right? Mm-hmm. You're not taking a, a commodity at the end of the day, like such as flour or, or distillate and then selling it at retail um, or packaging and selling it at retail. There, t- there, there takes a, a, a lot more intention, innovation and insight into creating um, those products. And then each of them will have its own distribution requirements, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're dealing with very high quality solventless concentrates, right? Most of those concentrates are transported in sub 50 degree temperatures, which means you now are transporting using freezer vans, not refrigerated vans. Um, beverages take up space and, and generally are climate controlled as well. So everything has mm-hmm. a, a specific nuance and you try to build out your operations to service the, the largest amount of products possible um, and you kind of can't chase outliers, if that makes sense. You, you try to build things to capture 80% of products produced and, and hope that yeah. you, know, you can service as many people as possible through that opco because inherently you want to be brand agnostic. Absolutely, man. That's super interesting and the intricacies of what you do. <laughs> um, now just a quick, one more quick follow-up. Um, can you, are you able uh, to say, who the top performing brand and style of product that you work with is? Um, or maybe what it is? Yeah, so I, I can't disclose the brand, but I would say the number one product category we're currently working in are gummies. Um, and that's in multiple territories. It, it seems that the, um, the gummy or edible category is growing very rapidly. Um, and now we're seeing an evolution within those categories of, um, kind of permutations of infusion, 
or concentrate infusions, such as, you know, we're moving away from just the distillate, like edible into, you know, live resin, which is uh, a hydrocarbon extraction, even it's a solventless for a more, uh, I guess you can call it elevated experience or connoisseur grade experience where they're, mm-hmm. they're using, you know, um, more intentional manufacturing practices to extract and infuse the goods. And so that's really exciting. Um, you know, an, an example would be, you know, Kiva coming out with the, you know, they have their Caminos, they have their Lost Farm live resin and have recently come out with their live rosin line. And so you're starting to see those trends play out as markets mature in places like Massachusetts, Michigan. Um, and that segment is continuing to grow very rapidly. Um, we don't play much in beverages currently, um, mostly gummies, uh, flour-based products, tinctures, and uh, infused pre-rolls. That's awesome, Matt. Appreciate you being on here today, man. We are coming to the end of our time here. Anything else that you'd like our audience to know uh, about you guys, about near future, about long-term, you know, about Yes Cannabis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would encourage anybody who runs a brand that's interested in expanding into a new territory to reach out. Um, We come from a brand building background. That's how I got started in the industry was through building brands and products and launching my own. And so we've really um, just developed our insights into the industry through doing, not through theory, right? Uh, It turned out that a lot of our theories were off substantially and we had to continuously refine them um, to actually identify what works. And and we feel good about what's going on right now. And, you know, we're here to we look at ourselves as a, almost like an open source company, right? Mm-hmm. We want to share our insights, our experience with others so that they can learn from our historical failures so that they don't have to experience them. And we can kind of serve as a tip of the spear for the industry to help us all collectively grow and mature. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Matt Martinez, CEO of Yes Cannabis. Ton more coming from you, man. You're building a really, really cool company. Uh, I know you have a lot of cool partners uh, in the space, uh, you're going to be around for a long time. I look forward to watching you grow, but thank you so much for your time today. Uh, really appreciate you. Uh, and let's get you back on once some news comes out and, you know, let us know who that top partner is one day. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you, Elliot. Thank you, Javier. Really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Hope you have Thanks, a great man. rest of your day and, and talk to you soon. You too, sir. Talk soon. Bye. All right, Javi, three awesome guests today, my friend. It was a good one. Wow. It was a good one today. I love this show, man. Easycannabis.com. Come join us in Chicago. Chi Town. What's up? Let's go. All right, y'all. Easycannabis.com. Benzing.com slash cannabis for Javi and all his news. Apple, Spotify for this podcast. Cannabis Daily. We're starting that back up tomorrow after a week and a half away. Uh, And then we'll be doing that for the rest of the year. Giving you all your news. Until Thursday, have an absolutely stellar week. We'll see you then. Peace. We'll be right back.